given my personal cultural programming, so much of that seemed like foreign and impossible and like the idea of compersion and the idea that you could not be horrendously jealous if your partner was dating somebody else. All of that felt like such a massive obstacle and hurdle. And I'm like, the people who are writing these books are superhuman. I could never possibly reach that point in my life or my relationship. And then now I'm like, oh yeah, this is no big deal. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this very special episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we want to share stories of people like you, our listeners. In the last few years, we've seen an explosion of content in the media about polyamory and non-monogamy. And for many of us who are in these communities, we've found them frustrating. We've been frustrated by the lack of accurate representation and frustrated by the very narrow range of experiences that the media really wants to share with us. So for this, we've put together little mini interviews with several of our listeners to try to provide another look at what non-monogamy can be and hopefully show you that whatever your experience is right now, there are other people who have gone through something like that or are going through it and to help showcase the fact that these are real people with real experiences from a variety of locations, different ages, various relationship configurations, and experience with non-monogamy. My name is Celestine. I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I identify as polyamorous. I tend a little more towards the relationship anarchy thing. And I've been doing some form of non-monogamous relationship probably since I was about 18 or 19. I didn't know what polyamory was at that point in time. I didn't know it was a thing. I just kind of knew that monogamy didn't necessarily work for me 100% of the time. My name is Megan. I'm from Minneapolis. I practice solo poly. I live by myself with my daughter and I see my partners whenever I have time and everybody is on an equal playing field and they typically identify as polyamorous as well. I discovered about five years ago and made sure to do a lot of research before diving in. Three years of research and then two years actual living polyamorously. My name is David. I live in San Antonio, Texas. I've been here about 40 years. I consider myself polyamorous rather than non-monogamous. Probably my whole romantic life has been polyamorous. I almost always had multiple girlfriends, our emotional connections with women that were deeply intimate even when I was married. I'm Leslie. I'm just outside Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I tend to call what I do relationship anarchy, but it it often ends up looking more like monogamy because I don't really put myself out there for dating very often. (laughs) I've 
pretty much since I found out the term, I've considered myself polyamorous. Uh, but as far as being functionally poly, probably in the last like year or so, I've actually, you know, met people who were okay with that and who didn't just say they were for the sake of being in a relationship with me in the short term. <laughs> My name's Jason. I live in Helsinki, Finland. I've been through various stints of non-monogamy over the last seven years, but for the last two years, my relationship has transitioned into like a full, open, loving polyamory with essentially no rules. My name is Annalisa Castaldo. I live right outside of Philadelphia in the United States, and I have been doing egalitarian polyamory for about 12 years now. I'm Kenzie. I'm in Davis, California, and I'm practicing what I call busy grad student polyamory, where <laughs> I am technically open, but not really acting on it with anyone other than my two fairly established partners. I'm Sherm. I live in Houston, Texas. I've been practicing polyamory for about two years. In the last six months, I've been transitioning to more of a solo poly framework. I'm Matt. I'm from Austin, Texas, solo poly. Kind of depending on how you count, somewhere between 21 years and like three. So I got introduced to it way back in high school at some point. And, um, you know, it sounded good. And I was like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. But, you know, I kind of backburned it for quite a while and kind of circled back more, more recently. My name is Aga. I live in uh, Krakow in Poland. I've been non-monogamous, actively non-monogamous for uh, about oh, two years now, almost. I have two partners. One is long distance and one is uh, a, a local one. I practice a non-hierarchical polyamory. I live in Eugene, Oregon at the moment. I am currently identifying mostly as solo polyamorist, and I really love the principles of relationship anarchy. And so I've been practicing polyamory for about, oh, seven or eight years. And I first came across it as an open relationship sort of a thing, and then learned more about polyamory. And once I learned the word polyamory, like everything blew open. I've been polyamorous for about like two and a half years, I guess. But we kind of broke up after Christmas this year. So I'm actually single right now. But thanks to Relationship Anarchy, I guess we didn't really change the situation. So we're still living together and it's really working out fine. So I guess we just de-escalated a bit. And I'm really happy. This is my first nice breakup where we could actually preserve our very loving relationship. That quality of being able to stay friends and de-escalate and change a relationship while still maintaining a lot of what makes it very special, I think is one of the amazing things that really teasing apart the ways that we look at our relationships can give us. And that's not something that's unique to polyamory or non-monogamy, but I have found that becomes more possible to people when they're willing to start questioning. Questioning the assumptions that we have about how relationships have to work or about how we should feel in certain situations. So my nesting partner slash husband, Alex, we opened up our marriage 11 and a half, 12 years ago or so. I have one partner um, who is a wonderful person uh, with whom I could never live, but whom I have shared a very deep connection for 10 years now. He has uh, a live-in partner, 
and they have a partner, but that's getting a little beyond things. And then uh, on Alex's side, uh, he has a local girlfriend uh, who is a great friend of mine, uh, not a romantic interest, but she's just wonderful. He has a long distance relationship that has been going on for eight years now, even though they see each other infrequently. And then he has a couple of play partners. I'm, there's three stable relationships right now, two women and a man. I've probably, in the past three and a half years, I've had four other female partners that have come and gone. The, the man was the other partner of one of my female partners. And so we met basically through her and began to connect. The second female partner has two long distance male partners and is in, a, in an open marriage. I know her husband, we get along pretty well but we don't have any real connection. I've got a person who's very important to me that I have feelings for that are reciprocated. There's a physical relationship, an emotional relationship, everything that you would look at and say, hey, that's a partner. But we don't look at each other and say, hey, that's a partner. So mm. it's unlabeled. Um, very rewarding. And then there's just a couple people that I've been dating casually, but it hasn't really sparked that kind of long-term relationship. I haven't found myself looking for what they would describe as an anchor partner or a nesting partner. It's been really rewarding to be able to live by myself. So I think I'm going to keep doing that for a while. Uh, it's it's just me and my one partner. Right now we're kind of long-ish distance. He's in He's in New Jersey and I'm in Pennsylvania. And so we see each other like once or twice a week. But we had been living together sort of it's just me and my my spouse at the moment. I'm currently working on whether I'm having conversations with my former other romantic partner that ended about a year and a half ago, trying to figure out if we can make that work again, but who knows. So I've got my partner that I live with and then a semi-long distance partner who's a two-hour drive away and they're dating people. They moved away recently and still are dating other people who live in the same town as me. And so it's very much connected to like, it's very kitchen table. Like I'm not dating a ton of people, but like I have a pretty extensive polycule because like, yeah, it's all very interconnected within the community. Like most of the people I hang out with are like two to four degrees of dating separation away from me. And yeah, we all do like play parties together and yeah, so I live, one of my roommates is a former metamor. We both broke up with the guy, our, our former shared partner, but got really close while we were dating him and stayed friends. Now I'm currently in two relationships where I feel like a lot more solid in the fact that like I feel like my own primary partner. I have a more... I guess, intertwined partner. Like we don't live together. We're not nesting partners, uh, but we see each other like multiple times a week and we're doing the, the self-isolating together. <laughs> and then I also have another partner who's more of like a comet. I have one kind of main squeeze, I suppose. We, we really try not to use the primary moniker, but then I, I date casually here and there. So I have one long distance partner. Uh, we live in different countries. He's dating 
other people, but doesn't have any long-term partner at the moment. And I have one local partner. He also is dating right now, but no long-term partners. So I'm basically, yeah, the only one in the polycule having multiple partners at the moment. So maybe it's just because I kind of like numbers a lot, but I kept noticing that the number two was in a lot of people's responses. So there have been a lot of people from this episode that talked about practicing non-monogamy or some sort of polyamory for a number of years, but there were quite a few that said that they'd only been doing it for around two or three years. So that's very interesting. And also many of them spoke about having around two partners, which is interesting to note because Dedeker, for instance, also has two partners currently and has for many, many years. So maybe to me, that kind of shows that maybe this is the amount of partners that cause somebody to not feel overly polysaturated. Maybe two is a good amount of partners for somebody to kind of want to get invested in for long term. So that was interesting to me to note. I opened up with one of my partners. We were monogamous for a while and then we decided to open up. And uh, the Multi Amory podcast, uh, you guys actually played a big role uh, in that decision. Because, uh, yeah, that's how we actually started discussing uh, non monogamy. And we participated in your uh, workshop in Tokyo. Yeah, that's how we met the, the community, the local community. Um, and yeah, we were discussing it, researching it for a long time. And then at some point we just decided, okay, what's the hell? We just need to we just need to give it a try. And it's been a very smooth and 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 fantastic journey. And I think also because we spent so much time listening to the podcast, researching and like kind of learning from you guys, that's that's why it also went so smoothly for us. Like I couldn't decide between my first and my second boyfriend and and I also didn't understand why I had to. So that was when I was like 16. So <laughs> I kind of always had like very reliable monogamous relationships for about one year and then I got bored or felt trapped. And then like I had some affairs in between that were nice, but not very reliable. And then I had a monogamous relationship again. And at some point I was like, well, this doesn't work out clearly. And before I got into my next relationship, I made sure that the guy was actually interested in polyamory a bit. And then we were monogamous for a year and then we opened up and it worked pretty fine. I was in a pretty hierarchical primary headset for a long time until I actually heard your episode 150, Relationship Anarchy. Somebody, somebody talked to me about it and said, hey, you really need to look into these multi-amory folks. And how I frequently say it is if my brain was like this far broken open by the concepts of polyamory that relationship anarchy took it the rest of the way. So it was like a halfway opening of the mind and then relationship anarchy took it the rest of the way. And I was like, oh my God. It was partially a kind of looking around at the, the, the circles of friends that I kept up forming, falling in with all these uh, poly folks. <laughs> and they seem really cool and whatnot. So it was an opening up process. Most relationships I had had some sort of open component. I wouldn't say they were poly relationships, but you know, weren't completely... Uh, closed off. And then, yeah, when I moved to Austin, it just was like, oh, I don't think I want to try to do a monogamous thing again. I have two local partners and uh, one long distance and a couple of comments that I see occasionally. 
From 16 to 21, I was in a monogamous relationship. It was like really codependent and tight. And so I started looking into polyamory, I think, as like an escape hatch more than anything. I did know that there were a lot of things I just didn't like about my relationship and the way that it felt that like the philosophy behind polyamory seemed to really address. So when I ended that relationship from then on, I was like, I will not date you if it's monogamous. Uh, So it took some, some trial and error. The first relationship I was in after that, they were only comfortable with like an open relationship, but not like really polyamory. But I wasn't super happy with that. And ultimately, it seems like he was trying to ignore the fact that, like, it wasn't just a monogamous relationship as best as possible. I had, like, a really intimate friendship that was, like, non-sexual, but very intimate. And then was also, like, you know, dating someone casually and then who was in a long distance open relationship and yeah it was like didn't really like do it on purpose it just like how my relationship shook out and then I graduated from undergrad and started hearing more about polyamory as an intentional thing I was like hey that's kind of what I was doing already let's just do this on purpose because the main problems we all had with the situation were that we didn't know how to talk about it (laughs) and I was single at the time um and just started reading things and listening to multi-amory and (laughs) learned about it and then like joined a local poly community I was like I guess I should meet other people who are interested in this too (laughs) and yeah I came into it solo poly Alex and I had been together for over a decade and a great relationship, totally solid. And one day he sat me down and he said, I love you more than I've ever loved anyone, but I don't think I can continue to only be with you. I, I really feel the need to connect with other people. And I thought about it for a little while and I was like, okay, you know, it, it, I'd been Buddhist for a long time and I didn't see why him having sex with someone else would change the way we felt and at that time we didn't know what polyamory was so we tried swinging that was a huge fail for many reasons this may be different in different communities or even now but when we entered the swinging community it was a very strict sex only no emotions but I'm not interested in having a sexual one night stand. And so I was not enjoying myself. Other big problem is, is that everything in swinging takes place really late at night. And I'm not a late night person. Mm. And so we'd be meeting these couples at nine o'clock at night, and I'd already be like wanting to curl up under the table. The third thing that was really problematic is just the drinking. I like alcohol, I'm happy to have a drink or two. But every single couple we went out with, Every single one felt the need to get hammered before they felt comfortable doing anything. And I'm like, if you can only have sex with people other than your spouse when you're completely plastered, I'm not interested in that. So I told Alex that I wasn't interested and that I know that that was going to be hard because single men in swinging don't get any anything. And so he was looking around and he actually found the Polyamory Weekly podcast and he came and he said there's this thing i've heard about you can actually date and i'm like really people date (laughs) Um, not just have sex but they like date that's 
weird, but, and so he got on OkCupid and he went out on a date and he had a great time. And I was like, that's cool, but I hate dating. I don't want to do that. You, you go, you do your thing. And then we went to a poly meetup and that's where I met my boyfriend. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. Shortly after I moved to Atlanta, I started attending various conventions, you know, nerd conventions. And then there's like adult conventions. There's a big one here called Frolicon. And finding out that like polyamory was a thing. There was a word for like what I kind of wanted to do. And I just didn't know that other people were doing it. And that kind of opened up like a lot of things in my life. I transitioned a closed relationship, a very long-term relationship. And so it was very tumultuous. We spent about a year and a half really trying to make it work and ultimately decided that it was not working because he was very, very monogamous, very kind of patriarchal, really thought that he had entitlements when it comes to marriage and what it means to be a spouse. And so we just didn't see eye to eye. but. Since we separated, he's been actually more willing to learn about non-monogamy and polyamory and uh, recently joined a polyamorous dating group so that he could explore it further. And, you know, even despite the de-escalation of the relationship, we were able to maintain quite a deep friendship and a camaraderie. One of the terms that I picked up from Polyland is Duramore. And so that's really how I've been able to reclassify our relationship. 
the transition was pretty difficult because I went from a, you know, 11 year relationship to none Mm. ended up being the single one, even though I was polyamorous. So that was abrupt. I got divorced in 2011 and, um, I met somebody very special immediately afterwards that I had a very intense connection with, but I didn't want to jump straight into another serious relationship. And I enjoyed being single. So I essentially had a serious relationship with her while refusing to be monogamous with her only because I wanted to continued dating and then after like a year of that I was like hey there might be something to this now we're going to turn to the million dollar question and this is the question that I think a lot of people in non-monogamous relationships are used to fielding all the time it's a question that I get basically in every single mainstream interview that I ever get asked to do and that question is how do you deal with jealousy So this is a question that it's often difficult for me to answer, especially in an interview context, because it really opens up a Pandora's box. On the one hand, you have your own personal relationship with jealousy, and it's a deeply personal relationship. You know, I think it's connected to your personal insecurities, to your trauma, your mental health. It's connected to what coping mechanisms just you have equipped as a human being for getting through a rough emotional patch. But then on the other hand, the question also prompts us to look at a much bigger picture. You know, like, what is it that we've been told from our society about jealousy as a feeling? Like, what are the cultural narratives that we grew up with that explain how jealousy and love interact with each other. And, you know, things like does maybe growing up in a very competitive culture with a scarcity mindset make us much more prone to more unhealthy or toxic forms of jealousy than if we hadn't. Anyway, usually by the time that I've finished waxing all poetic about all that stuff, the interviewer is usually bored to tears and then they just want to ask me about something more exciting like STIs or something like that. If there's anything that's challenging, it's that it's actually related more to my having a chronic illness and being limited in that way and and sort of being not jealous, but envious of Alex's, you know, energy and not being in constant pain, going out, meeting people, doing things, having uh, fun, acrobatic sex, I'm assuming at not there at the time and you know and it's just you know i'm like okay it's seven o'clock i'm going to bed now that it it's more overt when he has other partners that that's something i'm not getting um but that's balanced by the fact that i really appreciate he has other partners that means i don't have to feel guilty that i'm not providing those fun evenings out and uh, such with him Thank God for Buddhism, honestly. I don't know what I'd do without it. Uh, I think that it was just trying it that Mm. made it feel like something that I could do. I remember reading a whole lot of the literature and given my personal cultural programming, so much of that seemed like foreign and impossible. And like the idea of compersion and the idea that you could 
not be horrendously jealous if your partner was dating somebody else. All of that felt like such a massive obstacle and hurdle. And I'm like, the people who are writing these books are superhuman. I could never possibly reach that point in my life or my relationship. And then now I'm like, oh yeah, this is no big deal. (laughs) (laughs) And then I found out I wasn't as jealous as I expected either. Um, Like there obviously is still jealousy, but there've been times where I was uh, confronted with, situations that I think would have activated like a primal sense of jealousy but Uh I like down to my core was like oh that's so cute (laughs) so that was surprising I still get twinges sometimes but by and large having done a whole lot of processing and a lot of work as a client and of a really talented somatic experiencing practitioner I've worked most of that stuff out and so the twinges are pretty minimal it's I'm secure enough in myself and trust myself enough that I know my partners aren't going to leave me if they have another date with someone else. So as you can see, people have pretty varied ways in how they personally respond to jealousy. And in my opinion, it becomes apparent pretty quickly that jealousy is really not the only challenge that's inherent in non-traditional relationships. When I read about people's stories in our Patreon community, when I listen to the clients that I work with, I notice that, yeah, you know, people definitely struggle with jealousy sometimes and feel like it's a challenge, but the majority of people, I think, are finding challenges in other things, you know, things like holding boundaries. How do I deal with these feelings of being left out? How do I deal with this tough decision making? How can I show up in my relationship and be honest and vulnerable even when it's difficult to? And it's like all these challenges that are nuanced and complex and most importantly, pretty universal. I think these are things that most of us struggle with in our relationships. And that's regardless of whether it's a romantic relationship or a family relationship or even a relationship with friends or with coworkers. The biggest thing I think is probably personally like dating more than one person and kind of that FOMO sort of feeling of, of time, you know, having to choose to allocate time. Sometimes my things have been more long distance relationships sort of things where there's very clear, okay, I'm traveling this week to see a person. So that's a very clear demarcation of time and all that. If it's a little bit more kind of the day to day, that's a little bit of a weirder transition, I think. It's kind of that, that scheduling and allocation of time, you know, both, you know, my own allocation and also someone else's, you know, that if someone else is kind of like, oh, I want to see that concert or that movie, having that not be a thing that we share. And likewise, like if, if, if I'm choosing what concert to go to with, you know, that that's also a challenge. I, I'm definitely a, a fairly FOMO driven person, I think. Um, so it's kind of, you know, I want, I, you know, ideally all the experiences with all the people I care about. And so it's, it's hard feeling like missing out on something or causing a partner to miss out. For me, it's been my metas and like navigating those relationships and like learning boundaries more than just like, what am I okay with? Like learning what boundaries are just healthy to have in place regardless of like, if in a moment it doesn't hurt you to hear something, you still maybe shouldn't know it. And like keeping relationships separate because I was uh, close friends with like the main serious meta that I had um, before either of us were dating our shared partner. 
And so like learning to keep those seven relationships, like all really separate and like Mm. intentionally partitioned. The biggest challenges I faced recently are making decisions, making like big life decisions uh, with multiple established partners in mind. I'm currently in grad school, which means that in the next couple of years, whenever I finish my PhD, I'm going to be in the same position of like starting to find a more permanent career and just having to make decisions around that based on multiple people is really challenging because you can't just move the whole polycule to a new Mm. town, although we're talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) The thing that's most challenging, I think for me is I I think that a lot of people still operate, even people who've been doing polyamory for a long time, still kind of operate under a very hierarchical structure. And to a certain extent, like, especially when you have people living together, if you have children, if you have those sorts of built-in entanglements, that makes Mm -hmm. sense. You have responsibilities. But I have found that when people don't, like, haven't done the work to question that and why they treat people that way. It can lead to a lot of like, just sort of treating people as sort of disposable. And I've seen it a lot with people I know who've been in polyamorous relationships when it's someone who, when it's a partner that's outside their nesting partner, there's just, I've seen a lot of that kind of happen. And that's, there's still, I think a big learning curve there. I kind of stopped giving a crap. Um, just kind of recognizing that like everything has fallen apart so far and it wasn't at all to do with me or me being poly. It was to do with either me not communicating that to people clearly enough, or it was just a really poor choice of partners previously. And so recognizing that that has to be a conversation that's had enthusiastically at the very beginning of a relationship has made a huge difference. Yeah, <laughs> just just making sure that like anyone who does decide to get into a relationship with me understands if they want to be in that kind of relationship, because otherwise they don't want me. They just, you know, think I'm cute and just like, <laughs> like trying to make connections with people in any capacity has always been kind of a struggle for me. Like one, once I decided I didn't care, you know, if, if people decided that I wasn't like worth their time because that's saving me a whole lot of wasted effort trying to like, you know, do the whole emotional vulnerability thing with someone that doesn't appreciate it. So yeah. it just it's, it's more like the social anxiety. It's always challenging because the level of honesty, self-honesty and honesty with your partners that it requires is always just requires work. It requires some, some or putting myself in a, in a place where I can be like that. So I've had to align my inner and outer worlds. And so I'm no longer a pastor. And so I can be transparent and I, I couldn't be doing this if I had to be hiding, I think. For me personally, it requires me to be pretty much out there about everything. I'd say the biggest challenge that I faced was when communication gets triangulated. So when you're talking to multiple people about the same situation and 
something always gets lost in translation. That can be a little difficult. Scheduling. (laughs) I mean, I I, I know that that's the cliche, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And next, we're going to take a little deeper dive into what we like to call monogamy hangover. To put it briefly, monogamy hangover is when all of our indoctrinated beliefs about relationships and love and sex get in the way of us wanting to do relationships differently. There really are so many forces that encourage us to believe that things like true love can only be monogamous, or true love can only be heterosexual, or true love means you have to get legally married. You know, our culture, the media, the church, the government, like they all push us in this particular direction. And that means that it can be extremely difficult for those of us who want to go against the tide. The thing that's coming to mind is how deeply embedded mononormative thinking is, like how much prying out of wiring was was required. I think of myself as a intellectual, self-reflexive, you know, possibly over-reflective person. And it's still just so much like, oh, no, that's not an innate thing or a given thing. That's a thing that our culture has told us. And um, it went on for years and it never caused us any big problems. But I've seen lots of other people have problems that are just so clearly tied to it. And even though they know what's causing it, and even though they want to overcome it, it's so hard. It's really stunning how baked in mononormativity is. Feeling that, dealing with the the fact that I am not the most special, the best, and the only one, it's it's been a challenge. And this is something I I work on for myself. Uh, It's it's it is still a a challenge. I guess what I didn't expect was the kind of mental labor that was necessary to I don't know shed all the years of learning monogamy basically. Like I I had really, the first year was really, really tough. And like, I felt my brain was rewiring quite a lot and like it needed a lot of mental work to not think the same thoughts that I was conditioned to think. Because you base your whole life around your ideas of your like relationship and marriage and kids and like, or at least I did, or like people around me do a lot. And so if you're doing good in monogamy, your life is success. And if you're not doing good, <laughs> like you're a failure, basically, if you can't bring someone to family gatherings. and Or if, it, if, it, if you bring different people to family gatherings, then it's also a problem. What was really surprising was that after that first year of really tough times, it was really easygoing. Like once everything made sense, it like kind of clicked. And now I'm like, Oh, why do people still do this? No one has to suffer like that. So why, why can't you just be poly? <laughs> the most surprising thing I found, I think when I started, I had this very, still very monogamous idea of what like consensual, like non-monogamous relationships could and should look like. Initially, I thought, okay, you would have basically a very hierarchical structure and that, you know, you would have one person who you would, you know, that would be like your go-to, but then you could still have all the casual fun you wanted. And that was great. That was initially how I thought things were supposed to look. And then, but that is not at all how I function and it's not at all like what I want. 
the first thing that surprised me was how hard it was at the beginning. And there was so, there was like three solid months of every moment of our relationship felt like it was a negotiation and a conversation and a crisis. Um, and then it was equally surprising how quickly it transitioned out of that and became comfortable. It was like, in, in the beginning, I had to confront all of my insecurities and, and, and biases and internal problems all at the same time. But um, once I went through the process of doing that, um, I got over a lot of them at, like simultaneously and quickly. So I was surprised by both how difficult it was and how quickly it was to move past that when you put the work in. I expected there to be pros and cons, like the amount of alone time and like the learning to be more independent and like giving other people space. I kind of expected it to always feel like, okay, I will give you your space and I will be over here wishing I wasn't giving you space. But I kind of have like really been thriving in it. I also didn't expect how, how alienating it feels. Just, I can't like talk about my relationships like I used to. They, it always comes with a caveat hmm. of like, so this happened, but no, no, no. Like, it's fine. It was good. It's a good thing that happened. I'm fine. And like, I've always gone to my mom for advice in life. And we've always kind of been on a similar wavelength. But with this, she's so lost. She tries, but it's... I think the bandwidth for like what you're supposed to learn to deal with is different. Finding out how much I really, really don't want to be trying <laughs> has, has surprised me a lot because I love meeting people I love getting to know people which like that kind of goes like counter to like what people assume is like oh you know <laughs> this person's poly so like obviously they're gonna want to be meeting all of the people all of the time and I'm over here like please god no <laughs> <laughs> like don't make me do that <laughs> something I found fascinating for myself when transitioning into polyamory and I love talking to other people about is the difference between what you expected to be challenging or what you expected to be good and then what actually ends up being challenging and what actually ends up being good. So for this section, we asked our listeners, what were some things that surprised you? What was different from what you expected before you got into this? However long ago that was. I think that the researching made it to be a bigger deal than it was because in a lot of ways it's like you have this pitfall you have that pitfall don't do this do that you know and there's just so much information that have come from anecdotes and personal experiences and I found that not all of it actually related to what I was experiencing I also didn't expect some of the traditional monogamous norms to play through in polyamorous relationships, but I still found that happening as well. So there's still somewhat of an escalator. There's still milestones that people want to hit in their relationships. It was different, but not as different as I was anticipating. 
In a way, I discovered how much I value my personal space and uh, my alone time. It was something that I learned about my, myself. I never thought that I would enjoy living on my own. But now I feel that this is something that is actually, I think, for me. Just made it super easy to make friends. Um, I, yeah, I moved here. I moved to Davis not knowing anyone. And like, just by joining the local poly group very quickly had a very instant circle of friends. And so I didn't, it was a very pleasant surprise that I didn't really expect to, uh, to end up with. So I'm really interested to know how many of you out there, uh, have answered these questions for yourself have thought about what the things that surprise you the most about being polyamorous or non-monogamous are. Um, And we would love to hear that from you. So the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com or leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Jason Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowork and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.